And welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 176, season 4, episode 16. Our topic this week on taking the high ground. It's been another difficult week here in Israel. At least 24 soldiers were killed this week, 21 in a single incident. And <clears throat> there's no let up. There's no let up. It makes it very hard. It makes it hard to stay positive. It makes it hard to stay focused. It makes it hard to stay in a mind space where you can always believe in the victory and you can always be just be in a proper mood, in a proper state. It's very hard. With the impending, uh, at least initial decision from The Hague tomorrow, there's a lot that's sort of on the table that's at stake, that's in play right now. Uh, for us here, and just weighs on the mind. <clears throat> so hopefully, hopefully as another week goes by, things will improve. Things will get better. Somehow, some way. So here in Coaching with the Bible this week, I wanted to dive in to an interesting topic. I heard a a video, I watched a video a couple of weeks ago um, on the subject of high ground. And immediately upon hearing it, it just sort of rang a bell in my head to a portion, one of the stories in this week's portion, um, in the war uh, of the people of Israel in the desert against the Amalekites. And so I want to dive into this concept of high ground because I think there's a lot there which isn't specific to something called high ground, but that high ground as a concept is fundamental across the spectrum of all the things that we do and all the ways that we act and all the ways that we operate. And it effectively has to become a core value of everything that we do. And so we've heard the term seizing the high ground, taking the high ground, the moral high ground, all those things. And the reality of something like high ground, which we'll define in just a second, is that it actually cuts across a variety of circumstances and situations in life. But beyond that, actually, it cuts across nature. And we'll talk about that in just a second as well. So what is high ground? So high ground, typically speaking, is the metaphorical uh, moral superiority of an advantageous position. And typically speaking, we talk about the moral high ground, and it talks about choosing a path that aligns with your principles, with your ethics and your values, even when faced with difficulty. So you're choosing the moral high ground. But the reality of high ground is that it applies in war, it applies in business, it applies in uh, education, um, it applies in our homes, uh, and it's not unique to the moral space. In fact, Really where high ground comes into being is where I heard it first initially as a concept. Um, it's not something I hadn't heard of before, but it sort of explained was in this video um, by someone in the name of Jocko Willink, who I've mentioned a couple of times here on the podcast, who was a Navy SEAL. He does a lot of leadership training. It's a lot of his concepts and his ideas are very powerful and, and really rooted in the science, but also really rooted in experience uh, and can really be implemented for us as leaders and as people. So he was talking about high ground from a military sense. 
the idea that in certain circumstances, when you're at war, when you seize the high ground, is that you're looking to get above the battlefield. The ability to see the battlefield from above is massively advantageous for a whole variety of reasons. So the example he gave and the example that I then went to look up and to listen to and read about was in the case of Gettysburg uh, in the 1860s during the Civil War. So in that situation, in the, in the Civil War, <clears throat> basically what happened is that General Buford, who was from the Union, uh, Union Army, realized that Gettysburg was going to be a significant battle. And when he set up at Gettysburg, he set up in a way that he took advantage of the physical nature of the areas around Gettysburg by setting up troops on certain ridges that were raised above the surrounding areas and also used a tower at a local seminary to also then see from a greater height what was going on in the distance. So that visibility and that ability to have sort of observational advantage was an enormous value to the Union Army in the Battle of Gettysburg. And you can imagine that's always true. If you can see the entire battlefield from above, so then you have the ability to mete out orders to the troops on down below. You can even see what's coming on some level by troop movements from the other armies and those that are around you. So having tactical advantage from high ground physically is enormously powerful. Of course, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, Sun Shu from the, in the Art of War who sa said, he who occupies the high ground will fight to advantage. It makes a lot of sense. So that's really where it comes up in terms of the concept of high ground, in terms of the physical nature of the world. Um, where it comes up in nature, actually, was something I read about, which is that uh, chimpanzees will uh, climb to the highest uh, areas, the highest trees, or the highest ridges in their area, in their territory. They're very territorial animals, uh, and they will climb to the highest areas to then scope out the possibility of expanding their territory beyond what it is now. But they won't take a lot of risk. And so they'll see where the next sort of group of chimpanzees are, and then they'll establish whether or not there's an opportunity uh, to take a new territory, to seize new territory. So they seize the high ground in their area, by virtue of seizing the high ground in their area, they're able to then view the landscape uh, from a lot of different vantage points. It's a power concept. And so I wanted to dive in deeper because I think that this concept of high ground is really, really powerful and really, really important. As I said, it comes up in a lot of different spaces in a lot of different places. And so where it comes up in the Bible this week is in the battle against uh, the Amalekites. It happens to be the battle against the Amalekites has, has been an issue. It came up in the course of the proceedings at The Hague um, because a number of Israeli leaders uh, mentioned uh, that story during the course of the beginnings of the war and the implication being uh, an eradication of the entire people of the Amalekites. Um, take from it what you will, um, what they understood and what we understand from them and how we understand that story. But it is a story in the Bible that does come up. And so in that story, you have this war. The Jewish people, the people of Israel, have just come through the sea. They have just uh, begun to have uh, 
the manna from heaven coming down. They've just gotten water from the rock. And they're on their way to Mount Sinai for the revelation at Sinai and to receive the Ten Commandments and the corpus known as the Bible, the Torah. And in between, at the end of this week's portion, is this war. And to keep it in context a little bit for just a second, assuming that the tribe of the Amalekites, as they are descendants of Asaph, so they're relatives of the people of Israel on some level, they traveled a great distance to wage this war. Whatever their reasoning was, there was an interest on their part to minimally injure, maximally destroy the people of Israel in this moment. And so the people of Israel have to fight back. Now, they're not warriors. They've never fought a battle. They will then go on later on to fight many battles. But at this point, they're still sort of a slave nation who now are fighting a war. And so the expectation would be that in fighting this war, that their fearless leader, the person who took them out of Egypt, the person who took them across the sea, the person who brought, helped to bring the manna from heaven, who hit the rock and got the water out for them, would lead them into battle. And in fact, that's not what happens. Moses ultimately does lead them in many battles later on. He does. In this one, however, there's a strategic decision that Joshua is going to lead the army and Moses is going to take up a position on the high ground. That's how it comes up. And so however you understand high ground, in terms of the physicality of it, in terms of where Moses is going to be, Moses is not on the battlefield. So he's not taking weapon to the enemy. He's not fighting in that physical sense. And so whether you understand it, that he goes up into, onto a mountaintop overseeing the battlefield, that's one way to certain see, certain, certainly understand it. If you take it as some of the other commentaries look at it, he just simply finds the highest point within the, within the nation and he stands there. Moses takes the high ground. Strategic in battle, he takes the high ground. Now, when Moses is in the high ground, one could say that maybe he is meeting out orders and telling them where to go and how to fight. That's not obvious in the text. What is obvious in the text is that Moses is using his hands as a weapon of sorts to draw attention, to draw inspiration for the people, to draw focus and eyeballs from the people, to get them to look up. Rabbi Sachs has a beautiful article on his, in his work on leadership um, about the idea of looking up, getting the people to look up. And so Moses is there. What's interesting is that Moses is not alone. He comes with Aaron, his brother, and Hur, and they help him with his arms. They hold his arms up because the physica- physical reality is that a person cannot hold their arms up for an extended period of time. It's simply not physically possible. So he has help. And at certain points, he physically gets tired, and so they have a place for him to sit. So it's super interesting. So what you see in terms of the high ground is a couple of things. One, you can't just take the high ground and not fight the battle. You have to fight the battle. There's an article that I read um, in, I think it's the North Port Business Advisors, uh, North Point Business Advisors, that talk about the idea that you can't always sue for the high ground. If that's, it's important. There's no question. But if you're always looking for the high ground, you don't always win because ultimately there's a lot of war that has to take place and a lot of battle has to take place at the base of the mountain. So it's important to appreciate that as much as Moses is up on the mountain, he's fighting 
from a spiritual sense, and we'll talk about more about that in just a second. The war still has to be fought. Joshua still has to have the army. They still have to go to battle. When you're seizing the, the, the high ground, you need help. Moses has help from his brother and from Hur. When you're also seizing the high ground, sometimes it has a devastating impact on you, and then you need support. So the ability to sit down, in the case of Moses, is important to appreciate what's going on in terms of the high ground. But it's important to appreciate as to why it is that Moses does this here. Because this battle is not just a strategic battle, a physical battle in terms of the high ground. There's a moral high ground at play here. There's a values and ethics battle at play here that Moses is waging against the Amalekites, that he's waging on behalf of the people of Israel, and that he wants the people of Israel to pay attention to. This is not just an enemy that's coming to destroy you physically. This is an enemy that's also trying to destroy you spiritually. The messages and the meanings and the ideas and the values and the ethics and the morals that you bring into the world. And so what's important for you in those moments is not just to fight the battle here on the low, on the, uh, on the ground, but you have to fi fight that battle up on high as well. And you need to look up sometimes to appreciate that, be reminded of God in those spaces, in those moments. And so taking the high ground here is a strategic move and not just a spiritual move. And so that's the biblical context of seizing the high ground, which I think is super interesting. It doesn't happen again. In the other battles, Moses goes right to battle. But here he does require seizing that high ground. So I think it's important. So in the case of us, with, our, with respect to ourselves, let's sort of appreciate you know, how that comes up. It's, a, it's a, a point to mention as well. I mentioned the chimpanzees. We don't appreciate that there are video games that are out there today. There are sort of these single shooter games, I read about this, where you get points for strategically seizing the high ground, meaning that there's a value in it, right? Um, even in Star Wars, it's a famous scene in one of the movies where um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is in a lightsaber duel with Anakin Skywalker, and at a certain point when it's going a certain direction... Uh, Obi-Wan says, it's over because I have the high ground, as if that mattered. But it seemingly did matter, because in the next moment, when Anakin Skywalker makes a move to try to take the battle, he is cut off literally at the legs, at the knees, because he does not have the high ground. So there is something always in having that high ground. As I mentioned, the high ground applies in so many different spaces. So I mentioned in terms of war, that's certainly the case. <clears throat> We mentioned in terms of nature, in terms of the chimpanzees, that's certainly the case. Famously, of course, with respect to people talking about seizing the high ground, the moral high ground, for sure that's the case. But also in other situations, conflict and negotiation, when you're in a dispute, seeking the high ground involves maintaining a principled stance while resolving conflicts peacefully. So you want to operate in a certain way. It becomes, becomes as I said, it becomes sort of a ground Base, basic fundamental value of yours that you're always going to try to seize the high ground. You're always going to try to take the high ground in these situations. Sometimes as a leader, you're going to take the high ground in the case meaning making a decision that's going to prioritize greater good over personal gain. In your career, you may have a situation where uh, some of the behavior that's going on around you might be unethical or might question integrity and so in those situations where you're pressured, you might then choose to seize the high ground and not bend in those moments. 
So it's important to appreciate that all those things are true. And so also now to appreciate is when is it, right? Or why is it that you want to take the high ground? Why, why is that valuable? I mean, in some situations, you may find yourself in where there's what to be gained by not taking the high ground. So, you know, what is it? And so number one is that it does help you stay true to your values. When you have core values, when you've established your core values, taking the high ground on your core values helps you stay true to those values. Number two, it also helps you have the opportunity to, to really consider long-term consequences. By having, let's say, the strategic high ground or the physical high ground, the ability to sort of see a much wider, much longer picture allows you to make smarter, longer-term decisions. We'll talk about more about that in just a minute as well with respect to business. Uh, again, leading by example, through your actions, you can inspire others to follow suit. But there's also to consider the following you have that ability to see the full landscape, to see the full battlefield, to, 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 to detach to some degree. That's the term that Jocko used in that presentation, to detach from your current vision and by widening out the vision, the scope of your, of your eyesight to have a much wider picture of the landscape uh, can breed greater success. But also appreciate that you can't always take the high ground. There may be situations when you can't. You're in an emergency situation. This is not a moment. You're in an emergency. Your life is in danger. Where you're going to seize the moral high ground. It might be that in those moments, you need to make a very short-term, very immediate, and very specific decision that you need to, to, to preserve life, right? And so it doesn't always work. Two additional dangers that come up with uh, seizing the high ground, always trying to seize the high ground. One, it could be sort of false or like some sort of a misappropriation uh, of high ground. The example I, I read about was in the case of a business when older employees in a company talk about how things were in the old days as opposed to how easy it is now for you, uh, the new employees, to have all the tech and to have wide, larger teams and to do a very specific focus. So that might be true that what happened was what happened then. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't now operate from a better standpoint now when you have more advantage and you have more people and you have more opportunity because you're a much wider, much smarter, and maybe more efficient team than you were before. The other one, which I saw was a quote actually from a television show called Downton Abbey, which I never watched, um, but it's a great quote, which is, does it ever get cold? on the moral high ground. The context, I, I don't quite know because I didn't quite understand where it fit, it fit into the show, but okay. But the quote I think is very powerful. So if, it's, if you're asking someone if it gets cold on the moral high ground, you're basically saying that uh, sometimes when you're always up there uh, and you're always being that goody two shoes and you're always seizing the high ground or you're always operating from a high ground, it could get lonely. It could get very lonely. It could also get very slippery. If you're always trying to seize the moral high ground, it could get slippery up there. And you really have to appreciate that certain things don't work for you in those spaces. So we've discussed sort of the physical reality with respect to nature in terms of the chimpanzees. There's a lot of pieces there, which I think are super interesting. Uh, we talked about sort of the military piece of it. But let's dive into sort of you know, how we do it with respect to our own personal leadership and our ethical leadership. There's a great quote from Larry Ellison. Larry Ellison is the founder, I think he's still the owner of Oracle, 
And this quote came up in a story when there was a moment when Larry Ellison in the 90s was going to buy Apple. And in buying Apple, he was going to restore Steve Jobs to the position of CEO of the company. And um, Steve Jobs refused because he wanted to come back to the company through the high ground. That's how he said it. That's how the story goes. And so he didn't want Ellison to do it. Uh, and he ultimately got back in through Apple buying his company next. And then he ended up on the board and so on and so forth. But in that space, when he said that he wanted to come back through the high ground, Larry Ellison said the following, the moral high ground, that just might be the most expensive real estate on earth. Because operating or trying to always operate from the standpoint of high ground can be very difficult. But it does have space. So in ethical leadership, when you choose the moral high ground, um, so take, for example, the case of the Enron scandal in the early 2000s. The leaders consistently and constantly chose unethical practices, even when they faced severe consequences, um, because of the lucrative gains that were out there. And so in ethical leadership, there is a benefit uh, in, in simply just being ethical, right? You have these ethical considerations in your leadership, leadership decisions when you are the leader. Building trust and respect with your team, when you take the time to build the high ground, to establish high ground with your teams, it allows you to build greater trust and respect uh, with them. So this is an example, uh, or with your company that, for that matter. So it was an example that was brought up also in the 80s. There's this very famous uh, Tylenol crisis in the 80s when apparently there was a problem with the product uh, in the 80s. It was, it was damaged or corrupt, it was unusable, and it was dangerous, basically. The company moved very swiftly and very quickly to, um, with respect to that situation, to rebuild trust and to rebuild loyalty among their customers and, and their consumers, and obviously that worked. But in terms of our own spaces as well, strategic planning, when you want to you know, look to plan out your business, having high ground, as I mentioned before, allows you to have the ability to have the wider perspective on your business planning and your future. And so looking from the vantage point of the high ground allows you to see a, a greater perspective on your specific company, the people in your company, the industry that you're in, the advantages and the disadvantages of moving in certain directions, the plus minus of taking a certain route, looking at other companies and other businesses and other industries that might have done the same thing that you can learn from, and so doing that allows you to have effectively have foresight in your strategic planning in your business. There's also the ability with respect to leadership impact on your teams. When you're trying to have high ground, let's say you want to build your team a certain way, um, that really helps in your ability to hire certain people, right? So you're not going to bring in people who are unethical, who lack moral standing and moral values, because you're trying to establish a team and a focus in a certain direction. But also, uh, I read this in an article um, about Google um, from a, a, a website called War on the Rocks, which is talking about how do you affect change in a company. So there's also something called the psychological high ground. And so when you're building your teams, this is what the article said. This is the quote. Having the high ground provides people with a sense of security because it's difficult to sneak up on or ambush these positions. While the primary advantage of the high ground is physical, 
It is accompanied by a psychological advantage that is likely of equal, if not greater value. Leaders need to seize and maintain the psychological high ground to provide their subordinates with an environment in which they feel they can contribute without fear or judgment um, or, or attacks by either their teammates or their leadership. So there's also this concept of psychological high ground when you're building a culture of learning and innovation that comes in into those spaces. So it's really important uh, when you're trying to establish how that works. And so how do you do that as a leader? Like, how would you sort of go about that in your business or in your home for that matter? It's really important to establish that with your own family, with your children, obviously with yourself, but with everybody around you, you want to teach and you want to preach and you want to lead by example of seeking the moral high ground in those in certain circumstances, situations. So that becomes sort of part and parcel of how everyone else behaves as well. So number one, I think it's really important that each of us clarify our core values. Just conduct a personal values assessment. What are the things that, and we've talked about this a lot, certainly earlier on in Coaching with the Bible, what are the certain core values that you're about to resonate with the leadership style that you want to have or the philosophy that you want to have? And then really shaking those out as to what those things are. So number one here is clarifying those core values, even writing them down, even really getting, you know, sort of clarity on the language around what those core values are and what they aren't. I wouldn't say you should have a long list of core values, but you should have a list of core values. That's number one. Number two is really trying to lead by example. Paying attention to certain moments, paying attention to certain circumstances to lead by example um, that thereby exemplify and show the high ground principles that you're trying to uh, emulate and try to teach. How do you do that, right? And I think that that's, that's really sort of nose to the ground and ears and eyes wide open that you're paying attention to what's going on around you because these are uh, leadable, teachable, coachable moments for the people that are around you. Number three, um, after you've already sort of established your core values and you've, you're trying to lead by example, it's important that you communicate those values to everybody around you. So you'll see and you'll read about in leaders in, in certain companies that consistently and regularly review those core value principles with their team. So they'll, you know, quarterly or, you know, semi-annually uh, share those out to the team. Uh, they'll have a conversation around some of them. They'll, um, you know, sort of show by example people who are operating in that manner. And so that does two things. One, it highlights the person, which I think is super valuable. But also, two, it also highlights the values that you're trying uh, to put out there. Number four, um, I think, is really training uh, everybody and learning consistently uh, around that. So, you know, looking for opportunities and ways and moments to, you know, to, to train and to teach, to put people through a little bit through the ringer, uh, role play the certain circumstances and situations of how uh, a person might act and then review it so that you can see how a person should act in those moments. And I think in those things, what you're doing is that you ultimately, you're building up a much better team. You'll be a much stronger team, a more successful team, a more successful family uh, if it's in the home. And by doing that, you're elevating everything around those basic 
uh, moral high ground principles that you're establishing for yourself. So I that in, in so doing, you get a really good sense of how uh, taking the moral high ground or seizing the moral high ground or, or you know, seeking the moral high ground uh, or just high ground in general is not just like another principle. It's a core principle of everything that you're doing. And so what's important, I think, as well there is also simply to surround yourself uh, with friends and colleagues and teammates and partners who are always trying to bring you up to a higher space, who believe that you can uh, you can always and can and should seek higher ground on a consistent, more regular basis. And I think that's something to really think about and to look into deeply uh, for ourselves. As always, to end with a quote, this is from a contemporary um, inspirational speaker, motivational speaker and writer named T.F. Hodge. Seeking higher ground is not a destination, but an elevation. That is our Coaching with the Bible for this week. Have a great, great week. Look forward to seeing you next week.